Well, if you will, take your Bibles to the Old Testament about a quarter of the way through or a little less, you'll find the book of 1 Samuel. And that's where we're going to focus as we're in this series called Tell the Story Again. And today I want to tell you about the story of Samuel and the word of the Lord. Our narrative begins with Elkanah, who is a husband to two wives. One is named Hannah, and the other is Panana. It's sort of like Pamina with ends. I'm a fan of pimento cheese. It wasn't always that way, but I was introduced to pimento cheese in the favorable way when they exchanged the pickles for jalapeno, and now I'm a fan. I'm not a fan of polygamy, though, and Okinah is a polygamist. And in every account of the Bible, uh, polygamy is a sin. And so here's a man who has moved in a direction that is the opposite of the Lord. And there was a lot of favor that God would give to him that was shortchanged because he was acting in this sinful way. That's the way I see that and believe that to be. He loved his wife, Hannah. Her name actually means grace. So here in the U.S., we would call her grace. And in doing so every time, we would just be reminded of the grace of God. But yet she was particularly heartbroken because she was barren. She was without child, could not get pregnant, and longed for a child to offer a child to her husband. We can only imagine the pain that she went through, particularly because the other wife would use this as an antagonistic way to bring her down, to belittle her. And in the culture of that day, it was not just the sorrow of being barren, but it was the social stigma of not being able to produce a child. The people of God would wonder what kind of sin brought that upon her. There's some of you in this room right now who know the suffering of barrenness. You have longed to be pregnant, but God has not allowed that. I don't know his timing. I don't know his purposes for you specifically, but I do know it doesn't change the fact that God is good and he will provide for you. Once the family was making pilgrimage as they normally did to the tabernacle in Shiloh, that was before things had settled into Jerusalem and the holy place was there in Shiloh and There they would go and make worship to the Lord. And on this particular journey, as all others, they were feasting and worshiping before the Lord. Hannah was provoked, as she often was. She wept sorrowfully to the point that she could not eat and could not be consoled. Again, some of you know the sorrow and the sadness that comes to the depth of that kind of measure. And there she was... And one day, Eli, who's the priest, the high priest in that region, he's the high priest, he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they are the priests that are there serving in uh, submission to their father, who is the high priest. And Eli is watching Hannah as she is weeping bitterly there on the day of worship. She's praying to the Lord. And this is her prayer. It comes out as a vow. In chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget 
your servant. Let me pause there just as a timeout to say, God does not forget you. When you find in the, in the scriptures the, the phrase, remember me, it's not like a remembrance, oh, you've forgotten, so remember me again. It's not like that, but it's remember me, and it always comes with action of God following that. It's, Lord, look upon me in your remembrance of me, act in this way, please. It's a, it's a plea, it's a petition, and God is often moving in those times. And so she's praying for God to move upon her. Remember me and forget not your servant, but will give to your servant a son. She's, she's looking for a son. And she says that I will give this servant, this son to you. And I will give him to you, Lord, all the days of your life. And she places a Nazarite vow in the midst of this prayer. Lord, not a razor will not touch his head. It's part of the part of the vow Lord if you will do this then he will be dedicated to you all of his life Eli should have been touched by Hannah's heart her painfulness that was being communicated she should have been he should have been encouraged by her faith but he totally misreads the situation and in he saw her praying in her heart. She was moving her lips, but no words were coming out of her mouth. And he just misread the situation. By the way, this is like the beginning of the red flags that we have in this narrative about Eli. Eli had good service before the Lord, but he was often not serving the Lord faithfully, not doing all that he would be required to do in the position that he held most notably as a father and this is the beginning of the red flags that pop if you'll just read the text and kind of go through it more you'll see this so he sees her moving her lips but no words are coming out and he assumes that she is drunk and so he wants to chide her what we find in this narrative is that Eli is actually lacking vision I should give you a heads up. Everything that is noted about Eli physically is paralleled spiritually. So here's a man who's elderly. He lacks physical vision, but he also lacks spiritual vision. He, he has a, an understanding that is somewhat vague. It's not totally wrong, but it's a little bit vague. And his spiritual ears are no longer hearing the word of God. God is not speaking to the high priest. His spiritual stamina is weakened. So all the ways that he is physically de declining, he has over time spiritually declined as well. What a warning for you who are 55 and over. Somewhere along the way, we have equated that physical decline means that you decline in your ministry. That's a wrong equation. That never calculates in the kingdom of God. Now, I can say these challenging words to you because you, particularly who are 55 and older, know that I love you. But I want you to be challenged in this last season of your life and my life. I want us to go further, stronger, harder, more capable in serving Christ than ever before. Regardless of your capacity, you can be faithful to God.
capacity is up to God. Your faithfulness is up to you. Will you be faithful with the sustaining grace that God is giving you to the measure of capacity that you are physically capable of doing? Will you be found faithful? So because your spiritual or your physical eyes might be diminishing, your spiritual eyes don't have to diminish. And though you might be weakened in your ability to move around does not mean you have to be weakened in your ability to minister around. Eli was one of these guys who's getting older in age and declining in spiritual depth. And that is not where we ought to be. So he sees Hannah and he sort of rebukes her for her drunken state, though she is not drunk. But Hannah's heart is given to the Lord. Lord, if you will open my womb and give me a son, I will dedicate him to you. And once he recognizes what she is actually praying, because she explains it to him, he responds to her in verse 17, go in peace and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made known to him. And God does. He hears Hannah's prayer, he remembers that prayer and he grants her the request and she conceives and, and bears a son and she names him Samuel, which his name means heard by God. So she has recognized God has heard her prayer and she names her son so that every time she mentions his name, it would be a reminder that God hears prayers and he has heard her prayer. True to her vow, she weans Samuel and she takes him to the tabernacle to serve under the guidance of Eli, the high priest. The son that Hannah requested, God has granted and in worship, she gave the gift that God has given. At the time, her only son, she gave the gift back to the gift giver. She gave him back to the Lord. And upon dedicating Samuel to the Lord for service, she expressed her worship and joy and gratitude to the Lord. And so if you move to chapter 2, the first 11 verses of chapter 2, are this great song or this prayerful song that Hannah is communicating about the Lord granting her request. It's a beautiful prayer. It's one that uh, speaks of God's sovereignty and of his power and of his justice. It serves as a compelling reminder that God is faithful and devoted to the people who love him and with perfect timing he turns their mourning to joy and sorrow from joy and sorrow to praise and then the narrative is shifting periodically if you read it and I was able to tell you the story in its in its order you would see that there's this movement in and out between Samuel and Eli's son Hophni and Phinehas and there's this this uh, declaration of God's favored son because one who is faithful and God's enemies who are not faithful to him who, who claim to be doing something in his name. So you find this exchange moving back and forth. The Bible records that Eli's sons are worthless. If you're in the King James Version, which some of you probably are, the term that they're using there is the same word that's interchangeable for the name devil. So what he's saying is these are worthless sons of Eli. They're sons of the devil. These were priests who did not know the Lord. And how risky that is when one has a spiritual title but does not have spiritual life in God. 
What a great risk that is, not just for them, but for everybody that they're coming in contact with in their so-called ministry. These spiritual deadbeats and thieves were marked with corruption and disobedience and flagrant disregard to the commands of God. Their sins were so great in God's sight. Not only did they engage in sexual sin, even in their position, but they were thieves. They would take portions that people had dedicated to the Lord and that God had mandated for himself. They were taking them for their own pleasure and for their own good and for their own riches. But Samuel stood in stark contrast to the sons of Eli. The scripture says that he grew up in the presence of the Lord and served him genuinely. So every year, Hannah and her husband would go to make that annual pilgrimage there to Shiloh. And every year, she would make him a, an ephod. It was the priestly garb that was worn the, uh, underneath all the, the, uh, the outer external ways in which a high priest would wear certain things was the ephod underneath. And every year, she would give him a new one as he's growing up. Obviously, he would need new uh, outfits. Uh, we, we see them worshiping there. And at the same time, again, we see Eli's sons ignoring their father's attempt to rebuke them and, and move them away from their sinfulness. Uh, if you have a summation of Eli as a family man, you would know that he was one who failed to discipline his sons. Just failed to remove them from the positions that they were in and to stop them in their sinful behavior. They just, he just left them unchecked. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, we find a different reference of Samuel. In contrast to Eli's son, that verse in 26 says, now the boy Samuel grew up both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Does that verse sound familiar to you? Well, it should because 1,100 years later, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, uses those same words for Jesus. So in the Old Testament, this would be a typology. Samuel is giving us a glimpse of what Christ will look like in the perfect sense Christ would look like. It was so that the Jewish people and others who would know God's word would be able to see this is how the Lord will be. With perfection, he will grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. This is how we know Christ Jesus will be. So chapter 2 is ending with the Lord sending a prophetic message to Eli from a man of God. We don't know his name, but he comes. And he is warning of judgment in the house of Eli for the unfaithfulness and the disobedience that is obvious there. The narrative is underscoring the importance of leaders and parents to nurture the next generation unto the way of God and the consequences of failing to do so. It's a constant reminder throughout the scripture. You and I in this generation have an obligation to help the next generation to know the Lord, to grow in the Lord, to grow in his word, and to serve him faithfully. And, and when we disregard that, it comes with enormous consequences. So the Lord has rejected the household of Eli and he foretold of a provision of a faithful priest. And of course, he's speaking of Samuel. Chapter two, verse 34 and 35. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, 
shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Now, the apex of the narrative to me is Samuel's calling. It's this divine call that God gave to him as a young boy serving in the tabernacle under Eli's guidance. Samuel experienced a life-changing encounter with God one night. As he lay to sleep, he heard a voice call his name. Believing that it was Eli who was calling him, he ran to him. And Eli said, I didn't, I didn't call you. And he went back to bed. And that happened three different times. Finally, Eli's kind of catching on to what's going on in the boy's life, realizing that God is speaking to him. And he says to him, now, the next time you hear that voice, you respond, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is a profound moment in the beginning of Samuel's prophetic ministry. It's God's revealed plan to him that he's calling him to lead. It's a good opportunity for us to just pause for a moment to speak to the students and the adults in this room who may have heard the call of God specifically in your lives. Samuel was dedicated to the Lord when he was just a toddler given and commissioned to the service of the Lord. And now he has grown. We think he's probably in his teen years. And he's hearing the call of God for his life. He will be a remarkable leader and prophet of God. And there are some of you who are hearing the call of God. It, it coincides with the way God has shaped you and made you and given you gifts and abilities. He was already, before you were born, preparing you for the call so that you might be successful in your responsive obedience. At 16 years old, I knew the call of God in my life. It's clear as a bell in my life. Now, I wasn't necessarily thrilled about it. At the time, in my immaturity, I didn't understand the depth of it, didn't know what it was like to walk in complete obedience to that, but I knew the call of God in my life. And, and all of us should sense the call of God in our life. You say, well, I've never had the call of God in my life. Well, the first call of the, of the Lord in your life is unto salvation. You, have you heard him call you unto salvation? Have you heard him to call you to himself? That you might be in his family, that you might be an adopted daughter, adopted son, through the grace of Christ Jesus, who's made provision for you to actually be in the household of God? Have you heard that call? And with that call comes a, a call for you to serve. Everybody is served in the kingdom of, is to serve in the kingdom of God. With the call into the kingdom is the commission to serve in the kingdom. And you use the talents and gifts and abilities that God has given to you, and you just say, here am I, Lord, send me. You say, well, I don't know what that's to be. Well, what are you good at? How has God made you? What are the spiritual gifts, the way he manifests himself through you that other people can identify as well? That's the direction you go. It's part of your call. 
But some of you are given a very specific understanding about what God has commissioned for you in your lives. And some, it might be to the mission field locally or globally. It might be to the church that you might serve the church faithfully, either as a layman or a laywoman or one like myself who's just given all of my life to the service of the kingdom of God and even in my profession. If you've heard the call of God, don't put that off. Take the next step. Take the next step in response. You know what the next step is? Well, according to this narrative, the next step is you need to be telling somebody else. You need to learn to say yes to the Lord and then tell somebody about that. Samuel would end up telling Eli about this. Be confident in your call because you, you are confident in the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. He, how he cherished God's word, in other words, he, he didn't let any of them dissipate. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, remember Dan located to the very north of Israel, Beersheba is all the way down to the south in the desert. From north to south, they all knew that Samuel was established as the prophet of the Lord and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now that had not been taking place. The Lord had not been revealing himself and his word was very rare in that day. Now let's give some consideration because a great transition has happened here, great call has happened and the narrative is worthy for us to just settle in and just consider a few things. There could be many others, but I'm just choosing these to share with you today. First of all, just as a reminder, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, the word of the Lord was rare. This narrative occurs in the season of the judges, in the period of the judges, and in that time, the word of the Lord was rare. Chapter 3, verse 1 gives us that with clarity. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. I'll just pause here for a moment, just say you and I have no idea what that's like. And the fact that we have the word of God in our hand, I own multiple copies of this and everywhere I go with my phone, there's a copy of the Bible. With it, I have studied and read it throughout my life. It is in my heart. Words just come out of my memory and in my my. Uh, hard all the time because God has deposited that word and I've read it I've studied I've proclaimed it you and I have no idea what it is to be without the word of God so we're we're sort of oblivious to the shock of the word of the Lord was not being spoken that the vision of God was not evident such as Eli's sight was physically diminished so his spiritual sight was diminished because God was not revealing himself during this period. Verse two, and at the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. So the word of the Lord is not being spoken. The vision of not is God is not being given. The prophet of God, the, the priest of God, is not seeing well, and he is not mobile. He is lying down. You get the image there? 
Eli had the position of the high priest during the time of the judges, and that was marked, obviously, with moral decline and spiritual uh, decline as well. In fact, if you go over just a little bit towards the, the beginning of the Bible into Judges, if you look at verse 16 of Judges chapter 2, you'll find this, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did, did not do so. So they just walked away, didn't do the things that God had told them to do. Verse 18, when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved with pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. Let me just clarify and sort of summarize what's happening here in the time of the judges. In that summary that I just read, we find that there's no central leader. There's no central leader that is leading the, the country Israel morally or any other way. There's no consistent guidance or, or moral obedience that is being followed because of the word of God. So the, there's no good leadership among the people. Secondly, we find that there were deep cycles of sin and apostasy. There was idolatry and disobedience that I just mentioned to you. And whenever there, that idolatry and disobedience got to a raise point, God would bring his discipline upon the people and there would be enemies that would come in or nations that would bring them out of the land. They would suffer and, and cry against all of that and the Lord would hear their cry and he would relent as they would repent of their sin and he would provide for them another judge, raise that judge up, give that judge an ability and a power to bring victory to the people again. They would then obey God and then they'd go right back into their sin cycles. Deep cycles of sin and apostasy. And there was moral relativism. It was just everybody doing things in their own way. And that brought about a moral decay into the world. Listen, when, when you and I or others around us start doing things in our own eyes, we can be certain that moral calamity is coming. It's already started. It brings death and destruction. And there's social, social fragmentation. In this period, there's a weakening of the Israelite society. And now tribes are fighting against tribes and clans against clans. It's just chaos. Now think back with me through those four points real quick and listen and say, do I see those in our own culture of the United States? We find that there is no central godly leader. I could take out the qualifier there. We have no good central leader. If you're like me, you read the news and you cannot believe the lack of leadership in our country. Where do you think God is in the midst of that? He was right there in the midst of that with Israel. 
You think not? That he's right there in the midst of that with us? What is God saying when our leaders lack ability to lead? What is he doing? It's not partisan. That's spiritual. We see as well a cycle of sin and depravity that gets deeper and deeper. A moral relativism, just everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. Social fragmentation where communities are constantly bickering between each other. Different uh, thoughts against different thoughts. Now, what's, as we're reflecting, there is an answer. There is an answer to this, and it's quite straightforward. You would expect this from an evangelical. The answer is Jesus Christ. For when there is no leader, we find that Jesus is the perfect sovereign who is leading at the right hand of God the Father on the throne. He is writing and leading. He's doing it by placing his word before us and writing it on our heart. He is indwelling us by his spirit, giving us his nature. He is advocating for us and he is imputing his righteousness in us. Listen, when there's no leader around in the culture, we can be certain that Christ is still on his throne and he is leading and ruling our hearts. He's guiding us. Oh, keep your eyes above. Let your thoughts be on him who is noble and right and true, pure, blameless, who is your sovereign and Lord. And amongst the cycles of sin and apostasy, we know that that is broken when we come to Christ. You might have sin cycles in your life and you've been longing for those to be gone. I want you to know there is one who can break the sin cycle. So much so that he says that when you come to faith in him, the old passes away and all things become new. You're a new creation in Christ. He breaks sin cycles and he brings us the moral integrity that we need. There's no longer a a moral relativism it's not doing what is right in our sight we do what Christ says is right we follow his word we follow his lead and he changes everything in Christ we have God's word bringing us to God it's not that we're aspiring to get to God but God came to us look what he says in Hebrews long ago and in many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets Samuel was the beginning of this speaking by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he has created the world he is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word his word and his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty on high what am I saying there that when everybody else is just doing what is right in their own eyes we see Christ coming the true and right one coming to us revealing to us God himself and the very word of God and we embrace him as our Lord and we yield our lives into submission to him and then we see the social fragmentation in the world but we find Christ being the answer because he takes blacks and whites and 
southerners and northerners and the rich the poor the men the women and he breaks down all the barriers and he makes us into one family unified in him no longer fractured but one Christ is the answer secondly I want us to consider when a leader has no vision and misaligns his allegiance he cannot stand and serve effectively I doubt you're going to remember that one but maybe you'll ponder it in the days ahead I think you'll remember the visual that I'm about to paint for you if you take time to read the first four chapters of 1 Samuel, you'll see that Eli is mentioned in his posture three different times. It's a clue to his inability to stand against his sons and lead effectively in God's word. The first time you see him is in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. You find him sitting. He's sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the tabernacle. And the second time you'll find him in bed asleep while the Lord is speaking on three occasions and then the last time you'll find him sitting on a seat by the roadside watching fearfully anticipating the news of God's judgment he had heard God's judgment was coming the Philistines were upon them bringing calamity to them and he was waiting for news from the battle and up comes a guy who has fled from the battle and listened to his words and the result 1 Samuel chapter 4 Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has also been a great defeat among the people your two sons also Hophni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of God has been captured Eli was blind at 98 years old and upon hearing the news that the ark of God had been captured he fell back off that seat breaks his neck and dies in that moment he has a grandson that is born and his daughter-in-law names the grandson Ichabod which means the glory of God has departed I beg of you don't let that be the conclusion of your life the glory of God and the son has made himself known to you he's come to indwell you to rescue you to be your brother the firstborn among the resurrected don't let the glory die with you come to life with faith in the glory of Christ today and let your service be given to him in a glorious way all the way through till your dying breath be faithful to him and let the glory be evident so leadership is obviously essential good true godly servant hearted leaders are absolutely essential in all walks of life Meadowbrook must be a church that it's filled with leaders in this society, in the schools, in the workplaces, in the community, and right here among the faith family of God. This is not a time for us to be sitting down, lying down, or falling down. This is a time for us to lead every one of us. And I'm asking you to do that. 
Now is the time for us to have a clear vision of what God has in his word and our calling that he has extended to us from eternity past. It's time for us to give our allegiance to Jesus Christ himself, not a time to have divided loyalty. Don't be like Eli, sitting down, lying down, when you should be stirring and standing busy about the Lord's business. Yet too many Christians today don't want to get involved or don't want to make commitments that might tie them down to the ministry. They want flexibility, not faithfulness. They want convenience, not commitment. And they crave self-centeredness, not surrender. Too many people are misaligning their lives to take on the ministry of Jesus Christ, which requires self-denial and sacrifice. One writer aptly said it this way, the second-hand faith that is all they have, it's a peripheral knowledge of the Bible. It's all they want. They have no spiritual vitality. They lie back thinking somebody else is going to do it they sit down confident that the Lord will understand the laziness in their life too many Christians have too many important things to do their lives are way too busy surfing through social media and binging on Netflix and playing and and watching worthless games it's time for the people of God to stand up with the voice of God with the word of God with the mission of God and do what God has called us to do I'm asking you, I don't care what age you are, don't spend the rest of your time sitting down and lying down. If you sit down, sit back, sit around, sit out, you are spiritually declining. You've heard it said as people will retire in their latter years, you do know if you sit down, you're going to go down, right? You've heard that? Oh, how true that is spiritually. If you sit down spiritually, you will go down spiritually. God has made us, from the very beginning, Genesis 1, God has made us to be productive He has assigned us. He has empowered us. And he will hold us accountable for everything done in this body. Be faithful. Serve till your dying breath. I want to live faithfully and I want to die in faith. All the way through. Don't sit down. Be actively faithful with the capacity that God has given you. In the name of Jesus Christ, be filled with his spirit, full of grace and power, busy leading in his kingdom and his purposes. There's so much opportunity that we want to avail to you at Meadowbrook to serve your faith family, to serve your community, to serve this world. Come engage with us. God has given you talents and abilities and even spiritual manifestations for which you can and should effectively serve for his namesake. Eli, obviously, in this time was a lame leader. He wasn't spiritually lame because he was 98 years old and physically blind. He was spiritually lame because he was lazy, lacked God's vision, wasn't in tune with God's word 
discounted God's mission and was undisciplined as a father and as a priest and as a man and may it not be said of us finish strong then finally when people of genuine faith and worship when people of genuine faith worship and serve the Lord devotedly he is honored and they are blessed Hannah and Samuel represent the people that you and I want to be I hope Hannah has submitted herself to God though discouragement was persistent in her life it wasn't like she had all the joys of the life and out of the joy she started serving Christ she was serving Christ in the midst of her disappointment and sorrow and sadness she worshiped the Lord though she was grieved and even grieved by him she gave and dedicated her most prized gift, the possession that was most prized to her, her son. And she devoted herself to nurturing him and discipling him so that she could bring him to the place of Shiloh where he could serve the Lord faithfully, even as a toddler. She fulfilled her vow to the Lord in worship and gratitude. And she publicly declared in prayer the goodness of God calling others to know him and to trust him in that way and she constantly worshiped the Lord the rest of her days you find her making that annual pilgrimage to the Lord that she might make public her worship to the Lord my friends we need people like Hannah today surrendered faithful resilient spirit filled God honoring people women and men like Hannah but we also see that we need people young and old like Samuel people who dedicate themselves to the ministry of Christ and his church willing to faithfully serve here and abroad people who will trust God's plan and call for their lives for God has intention for your life that intentionality was prior to your birth from eternity past God was already planning and making the way predestining the way that you would serve him in righteousness and in honor people who are willing to forsake everything in order to follow the Lord serving him walking faithfully and obedient even though other people around them are sinful and seemingly successful can you imagine how difficult it was for Samuel to serve the Lord faithfully why Hophni and Phinehas are constantly getting rich constantly having their physical appetites given to them can you imagine how difficult that is? Well, sure you can. You see it in the world around you. But yet you find yourself longing to be faithful to the Lord, attentive to his word. And that we need people like Samuel who would just open the word of God daily and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Not reading the Bible to check it off, but reading the Bible to see what the assignments are. To know how we live in the way of Christ and then sharing the word of God unreservedly. That's what Samuel's life was, sharing the word of God without reservation. Though his first message was one of judgment, Samuel proves to be faithful to hear God's word and communicate God's word such that none of the words of God that he placed in Samuel's life, none of those words fell to the ground. 
Samuel received them and he communicated them the rest of his life and in that there was a spiritual revival that took place among Israel that had never been seen before okay we obviously need revival in this land don't we and the Lord will bring revival I believe he will but he never does it without involving people like Hannah and Samuel and you and you and you and you and you are those people don't spend the rest of your day sitting sitting about sitting out sitting back spend the rest of your days standing and moving forward with the kingdom of God may it advance because of God's grace and your faithfulness Lord please I pray stir in our hearts where we have been blinded where we have gotten apathetic where we are lazy stir us oh God I pray stir in us a passion of fire that cannot be quenched and one that is obvious unto the glory of Christ give us divine unction Lord I pray give us a holy anointing for your work give us Lord a heart like that of Christ growing in wisdom and in stature and favor of you and men and Lord would you give us the capacity to do it faithfully in Jesus name amen